0: Now, this morning, uh, we're going to continue in our series in Philippians. And to begin, I have just a, a quick question for you. And, and you can, well, I, I won't ask you to shout them out necessarily, but, but do you have a, a favorite board game or maybe just a favorite game that you enjoy playing with your family or, or with your friends? I mean, maybe, uh, this is always risky, but if you have one, like what is one that you play? You can feel free to shout it out. I'll give you like five seconds. Um, no idea what that game is. Perfect. Now, fishbowl, fantastic. My kids love that one. Now, one game that my family and I have, have gotten into, and actually it's mostly Natasha and I, but we force the kids to play it sometimes, is, is a game that's called Azul. And I think a picture will come up behind, it, behind us. Now, if I were to try to explain this game to you, I would say it is a game with colorful tiles. And you'd be like, wow, that sounds so exciting. I can't wait to play a game with colorful tiles. What I found when we played this game, when a friend of ours gave it to us, and at first I thought it was a joke because when we tried to read the directions and figure out this game, I spent longer than I should have trying to read and understand the directions. I read the directions. I looked at the pictures. I tried to figure out this game. And then, and then I did what I should have done at the beginning. I asked Natasha to help me, and we figured out the game together. And... And, but eventually, we figured out this game and found out that we really enjoy the game. But what we found out and decided was that whenever we want someone else to play it, it, it makes no sense to hand them the directions. It makes no sense to try to give them the example. It's better to just simply let them play the game. Give it a try. Let's play it, and you'll learn it as you go. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, last week, what we looked at, we read what we call and what we refer to as the, the Christ hymn. Now, these are six verses in, in the beginning of Philippians chapter two that just give us a, a concise and beautiful picture of the gospel. They give us a concise and beautiful picture of what we've called the Jesus story. Now, when Paul placed this, these six verses in his letter to the, the people in, in Philippi, he wasn't trying to teach them the gospel. He had done that before when he, when he introduced and shared the gospel with them. What he was doing in this moment when he placed this Jesus story, when he placed this hymn in his letter was that he was using that hymn to call this group of Jesus followers to embody and live out the pattern, the story, the gospel of Jesus in their lives and in their relationship. He was calling them to do what he said in in verse 1 or chapter 1 verse 27 when he said, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So Paul, he, he gave them directions, right? He gave them the, the instructions. He gave them like, this is how you, you play the game. And, and basically what we learned last week is that you play the game by, by this self-giving love, by, by this unity through humility. These are, these are the directions. These are what I want you to do. And then he gave them a, a beautiful and perfect example in the story of Jesus. He gave them a picture of what it actually looks like to, to do this thing. But just like any good game for the Philippians to actually learn and to live out and to embody the story of Jesus, they would have to actually put it into practice in real life, with real people, in real relationships. And that's where we pick up today in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. So if you are are willing and able, I want to invite you to to stand with me as as I read from Philippians chapter 2. And and as has been our practice over the last few weeks is I'm going to, we're going to actually read the the Christ hymn as well. The Christ hymn comes immediately before that. So I will read the words that are not bolded. Together we will read the words that are bolded. So I will begin and then you'll join me and then I will finish off the last half. I just want to be clear because I don't want it to be awkward. (laughs) So here we go. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So after lifting up the name of Jesus and the, and the story of Jesus, Paul brings these dearly loved ones, these ones who he would say are his beloved, he brings them back down to uh, earth. And not because they, they needed a reality check, he wasn't trying to humble them necessarily, but because they needed to know what it looks like to follow Jesus in in real life, and to follow Jesus in what we've been calling a a shared life. Paul, again, he uses this word, and we won't talk about it too much today, but it's in the Greek, it's koinonia, which means, we translate it often fellowship, but it really just means this shared life together, and so he is making sure that they understand what does it look like to follow Jesus in, in real life, which for them is intended to be a shared life as they follow Jesus together. So essentially what Paul says to them is is this. He says, continue along the path of obedience and walk, and sorry, and work out in your lives what God is working on in your heart, what God is working on in your soul, what God is working on in your mind. Like work those things out. He uses the words, work out your salvation in, in fear and in trembling, now, it's important for us to note here and, and to point out that when Paul is talking about working out your salvation, he's not saying work for your salvation. He's not saying you can earn your salvation. He's not saying you do these things and you reach this level and you climb so high and eventually you get, you get in. But rather, he's talking about this ongoing work that he would invite them into. He would, this, this idea of, of working out was, was not like working out at the gym. It was more like cultivating. It was more like an ongoing bringing about into fullness that he was asking them to step into this pursuing uh, maturity in Christ. This is what he's talking about when he's saying work out your salvation. He's saying grow in maturity in Christ. Do that by continually working, but not simply um, by your own, by trying harder, by working more, but by continuing to submit yourselves obediently to God. Because in, in this verse, he says that it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. Now, I, I, when I thought about this this week, I thought it's similar to uh, a bonsai tree. Now, if you don't know what a bonsai tree, my, my best recommendation would be to go and watch The Karate Kid, where Mr. Miyagi will give you a fantastic lesson on the bonsai tree and how to, how to craft it and all the things. But, but I've, never, I've never had a bonsai tree, but I understand the concept, right? In fact, there's a, a goal or there's a purpose in a bonsai tree. I, I found this when I was looking it up. It says the ultimate goal of growing a bonsai is to create a miniaturized but real representation of nature in the form of a tree. It's to create a miniaturized but real representation of nature in the form of a tree. It kind of sounds like, like becoming Christ-like. You know, the word Christian, it, it, it actually meant at one point like little Christs, right? Like these miniature versions of, of, of Jesus in, in a sense. But, but the thing about a bonsai tree is if you just plant a bonsai tree, whatever form of tree it is, and you just let it grow, it will grow in its own natural way and towards its own natural inclinations, towards its own natural desires. It will grow towards the sun. It'll grow towards whatever. But, but if for a bonsai to be a bonsai, for it to be a, a representation of, of this real tree, it actually has to be crafted and and shaped and, and formed and, and pruned. And, and again, I'm not an expert necessarily in that, but I understand the concept that in order for a bonsai tree to become what a bonsai tree was intended to be, it had to be shaped. It had to be formed. It had to be submitted under the, the work of the, I don't know, the bonsai guy, whatever you call him. I don't know if they have a name, but, <laughs> but the guy that does the, the bonsai work. But you have to be willing to, to submit obediently to the work of that person in order to be shaped into it and that's what Paul is inviting them he says work out your salvation submit yourself obediently to God continually over and over put yourself in the places where he can continue to mold shape form prune and and make you into this Christ-like image this real representation of who Jesus is in your real life and in your real relationships but this doesn't happen in isolation. Like a bonsai tree it does. Like it's just like one tree and one guy working on that tree. But for us, this doesn't happen in isolation. In fact, when you read Paul's letters, many of his letters, he'll, he'll say things to them like he says to the Philippians. He'll say, uh, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And when he says, when we trans, what we translate that word your is actually this collective you all or like all y'all if you're in the south right it's like it's like just understand like it's not just talking to a an individual or a person he's talking to this entire family and not just as like a unit but this collective shared life Jesus family that isn't being formed and isn't working out their salvation as individuals but they're doing all of these things together in shared life and in community this is important because as Robert Mulholland says, he says, there is a temptation to think that our spiritual growth takes place in the privacy of our own personal relationship with God. And then, once it is sufficiently developed, we can then export it into our relationships with others and be Christian with them. But holistic spirituality, this formation that we're talking about, the process of being formed in the image of Christ, takes place in the midst of our relationships with others not apart from them, we learn to be Christ's for others by seeking to be yielded and obedient to God in the midst of our relationships. Because here's the thing, it's, it's in our relationships, whether, you, whether it's your family or your, or your friends or even your coworkers or even like this family that we call church right this gathering of of jesus followers it's it's in those relationships where we have the greatest potential for transformation it's where it's where i think god would would, could work the most amazing transformation in our lives where he can shape and form us most like christ because this is this is where it, it gets worked out in real time in real life at ground level with with friends and family And the reality is that on the flip side, that transformation has the opportunity for its greatest impact within those relationships. Like it's in our relationships that we will be transformed. And it's our transformation in these relationships that will impact those relationships the most. And that's why he's talking about like work out your salvation together. Like pursue Christ-like maturity together. Become like Jesus Together, it's how this thing works. And Paul recognized the significance of this shared life, as we're calling it, for them, but not only for them, but also for everyone around them, the world that would surround them, the, their neighbors and, and their coworkers, or the people that lived in their, in their cities. Listen to what he says next. He says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Now, the language that Paul uses in this sentence, it actually comes from what we read about Israel's time in the wilderness when they were kind of wandering and waiting to enter into the promised land where they got caught up into this pattern of, of both like complaining and also disobeying and also compromising into the world that surrounded them. And, and, and so they became um, less of who God had hoped and, and desired that they would be. But this is what Paul is talking about when he says that you may become blameless and pure children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You see that last line, children of God from a warped and, and crooked generation, he, he was pulling that from Deuteronomy chapter 32, where we find this, this long hymn or song, again, that, that was written by, by Moses. And, and in this song, Moses talks about God's faithfulness, but he also talks about, about Israel's time in the wilderness. The complaining and, and the compromise. In fact, when we see what we see in, in uh, Deuteronomy thirty-two, is actually where we we find the the words for the song "honey in the rock" or "honey from the rock," right? Like that we sang that last week. If you were here and you're like, "Why are we singing about honey? <laughs> Why are we singing about it coming from a rock?" Well, it's found in in Deuteronomy uh, thirty-two, verse thirteen. And, and let me just read this for for two reasons. One, because it, I mean, it's help for us, helpful for us to understand God's faithfulness, he's, how he was faithful to Jacob, but also I think there's something really entertaining in this, so just bear with me. He says, he made him ride, he's talking about Israel, he's talking about Jacob, he says, he made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock, right? So that's where we get the song, and, and that all makes sense, like that's God's faithfulness, he's caring for them. But the question I have is why they chose that title when they had so many options, because he goes on and, and he says... Um, in verse 13, he says, "He nursed him from honey with honey from the rock, with oil from the flinty crag." I think oil from the crag would have been a great song. <laughs> he all goes on with 14. He said, "With curds and milk from herd and flock." I think curds from the herd would be fantastic. <laughs> you could have, you know, uh, milk from the flock. And at the end, he said, "He he he, uh, he drank the foaming blood of the grape." I I'm not even going to go with that one, but. I think you get the picture of God's, of God's faithfulness that's, that's pointed out in, in this moment and the, the lack of, of faithfulness that, that Israel demonstrated in the wilderness. And what we know about Israel is that Israel was God's chosen people, right? That he had called them for a specific purpose, believing that through them, he would be able to like, rescue and redeem humanity, rescue and redeem Creation From all that they had already messed up and all that they had broken, he was hoping that his, this chosen people could be the ones that would shine like stars. In fact, in many places in the Old Testament, God refers to them as, as like stars in the sky or they will be counted as, as numerous as stars in the sky. And, and yet what we see with Israel was that they fell into the same traps, the same temptations, the same failings as, as the world around them. They got caught up in, in compromise. They got caught up in, in complaining. They got caught up in, in the disobedience of the world, and that's when, that's when Jesus comes in. That's when the, the Jesus story, the Jesus hymn, what we read in, in that gospel, is that's where the, the rescue plan actually takes place, and Jesus sets, or at least gives us the potential to be set free from, from all of those things. And Paul He wanted something similar for the Philippians. He wanted something similar for them in this moment. You see, Jesus came not only to to rescue humanity, which which he did for sure, but to fulfill God's purpose through humanity, through those who would follow his son, those who would shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And the question is, like, how does that work? Like, how how are we going to be a part of this bigger mission and plan and purpose that God has? How are we going to shine like stars in the sky? Well, Paul gets super practical. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I saw that. and I was like, really? That's, that's it? Like, that's the answer? And, and I don't think that that's the complete answer, but it, it sets a tone. It moves in a direction that we talked about last week of, of unity through humility and, and self-giving love. And when we look around... In our own world we see a lot of of grumbling and and complaining a lot of of bitterness and dissension a lot of divisiveness and and hurt and harm that that isn't limited to those who are outside of followers of jesus we find it inside our own our own family in our own homes in our own in our own workplaces and and paul has has more in store for them, He has a greater desire for them that, that they would out, actually live out that u, in that united humility that Jesus set the example for. You see, all of the complaining, all of the, the arguing, all of the dissension it's the opposite of that self-giving love. It's the opposite of of unity through humility. And imagine what what life would look like if if just the everyday person to the to the athlete, to the to the blogger, to the guy on Twitter, to I don't know the president of the United States. If we would all just stop and and think before we speak, right? Like like James says, you know, be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Uh, there was a pastor in in Chicago. His name was uh, Alan Redpath, and it was like in the fifties or or the sixties. But he came up with this this what he called a, a think test. And this probably isn't new to you, but man, imagine if we put this into practice, where if we before we said or or really offered anything we ran it through this filter is it true is it helpful is it inspiring is it necessary and is it kind imagine the the difference that that might simply make now as paul wraps up like this passage not surprisingly he actually comes back to the topic of of joy The the letter to the Philippians is often called like this this joy letter. It's it's a theme that that Paul will come back to again and again, and he's touched on already in the first uh, few chapters of it. But here what we see is he's talking about, and he often does, he talks about joy in the midst of, of suffering. And Paul doesn't hide the fact that there will be suffering in this life of following Jesus, that there won't be he doesn't hide the fact that there will be suffering in, in this Jesus story that we are called to live out. In fact, Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. But you see, the thing about trouble is, and maybe the problem with it and, and suffering and, and sorrow is that the, all of those things are inevitable. Like, we can't avoid trouble. We can try. We can't avo- avoid sorrow. Again, we can try. We can't avoid suffering. It, it, Jesus wasn't able to avoid trouble, sorrow, or suffering. It's just part of, of human existence, and we can't necessarily avoid it. But here's the thing about trouble, sorrow, and suffering is that they are not the whole story. Jesus, in John chapter 15, he says the, this. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full now other translations might say that your joy may may overflow and doesn't that sound i mean how does that sound like what we want like we would love to have our joy overflowing in in every moment in every circumstance that we wouldn't have any trouble sorrow or or suffering but it was all just the the good of what what jesus offers but here's the problem for us is that is that while sorrow and suffering they're they're inevitable in this life like again we can't avoid them Joy is, is not. Joy is, is not necessarily inevitable. Joy is something that we have to choose. Joy is something that we have to continue to choose over and, and over and over again. In Scripture, the word joy is, is both a noun and a verb. It's, it's often translated, as we see in Philippians, it's often translated rejoice, which if you were to make a more literal translation, it would be like to joy. Joy. If this is what Paul is, is inviting his friends and, and family in Philippi to do. He's saying, joy, like just do this thing. He's inviting them to do something that can feel at times difficult, but at times it can feel easy. You see, in scripture, the the word joy, if we were to do a deeper study, we'd see it actually has kind of three ways of, of being. One is that joy is is a feeling. Now, we've all heard that that happiness and joy aren't the same, right? Like happiness is, is based on circumstances and joy is not. And, and that is surely true, that there's an element of how happiness is on, based on circumstances and our joy is, is more based on, on our, who we are in Christ. But at the same time, if, if we walk through life very long, we know that we're going to have moments where we feel this overjoying or overflowing of, of joy as... Jesus would offer it. Just in, in the moments of life that, where it feels like all things are right, where all things are, are as they should be, where, where there, this joy, this overflowing is a, is a natural response. So there is a way, a time when, when joy can be a, a feeling and it can even feel very similar to happiness. But joy is also a, a condition. It's also this idea of maybe like a, a character trait that we would is not just a feeling that comes and goes, but it's actually the kind of person that we become as we continue to pursue Christ likeness, as we continue to pr- pursue maturity in Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul lists out the fruit of the Spirit, the, the fruit of, of what it looks like when we grow in maturity in Christ, like the things that are naturally produced in our lives. And the first is love, which makes a ton of sense, and the second is, is joy. And, and I believe that there is some purpose or some reason in the the ordering of the fruit of the Spirit that is love, joy, peace, and patience, but it's important that the joy is right up there in the, in the top three and that it's something that we actually can can work on. It's, it's, it's a virtue. It's a character quality that we can actually develop and, and grow into, which kind of leads to the idea that joy is not just a feeling and a condition. It's also a, a discipline. There are times for us, for many of us, when joy will come easy, right? Maybe on our... On our wedding day maybe when when your team wins maybe yesterday like the first day when it reaches almost 65 in a sunny day in oregon like that like it's not hard to feel joy when the sun is shining on your face for the first time in seven months or however long it's been maybe not quite that long but there will be times there will be times when joy will feel like a sheer act of obedience and submission to jesus where it'll just simply be a discipline to, to align our heart to his, to reorient our heart towards the goodness of God, to his, to his faithfulness, to what we know that is true about him in the life that we have experienced with him. There will be moments when joy is not easy. But Paul is inviting them into Joy. Trevor Hudson explains it this way. He says, how do we open ourselves to joy? It can only be produced in our lives by the spirit of Christ himself. This does not mean that we sit back and do nothing. It is always our responsibility to continually focus our hearts and minds, not on our past failures or sins, on our future concerns and worries, or on those ever-present struggles that come our way each day, but on the God who raised Jesus from the dead. As we choose to do this with simple trust, the Holy Spirit will impart greater measures of divine joy into our lives. Now that makes sense. It sounds wonderful, and I believe that it's true. But it also sounds almost like too good to be true, because here's the thing, is that that can be hard to do. Like to joy can sometimes feel very hard and difficult to do, especially when we're trying to do this on, on our own. Especially when we're trying to just manufacture joy or just manufacture a, a joy filled face. It's, it becomes very difficult. But listen to what Paul says at the end of, of this passage when he's talking about rejoicing. He says, I am glad and I rejoice with you. So you should be glad and rejoice with me. What I believe is is that Paul saw joy as, as a shared commodity in a shared community. Like when Paul talked about this shared life, this koinonia, this idea of, of being together, it, it it was all things. It was the all the resources, the things that they need home, clothes, food, whatever, whatever you needed. Let's, let's do this thing together and that, and that joy actually be, would become this shared commodity as well because there, are, there will be times when, when I don't have the joy that I need but maybe you have enough joy for me. And maybe there's times when, when I am overflowing with joy and I can help carry the, the burden and the blessing of joy for both of us. I mean, Paul, in Romans 12, chapter fi- or chapter 12, verse 15, he says something similar. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. I want to go back to the, and uh, Coleman, you have to, I, mean, I know you'll be ready for this, but I want to go back to the quote by um, Robert Mulholland that I shared at the beginning. Awesome. There is a temptation to think, actually, I'm going to skip to the end. Where he says, um, but holistic spirituality, the process of being formed in the image of Christ, takes place in the midst of our relationships with others, not apart from them. We learn to be Christ's for others by seeking to be yielded and obedient to God in the midst of our relationships. I mean, the reality is, is that as we come in here this morning... There are many who would come in today and say, Man, joy's no problem. I'm overflowing it. And if that's you, that is fantastic. Enjoy that and and rejoice in it. The other side of of that coin is that there are people that come in this morning and and joy just feels distant. Where joy would feel like a burden that that they couldn't carry on their own. And we have this this unique opportunity as as a, a shared within a shared life and as a family together to, to carry one another's burdens, right? Jesus invites people to come to me, all you who are, who are weak and weary and heavily laden and, and come, and, and I will help to carry your burden. And that's what Jesus does for us, and he's the one that actually carries all of this load, but he also invites us to participate in the work that he did here on earth and that he continues to do on earth, and we can actually stand in the gap for friends and family who maybe are lacking in joy right now, and it doesn't mean we just show up and smile in their face. What it means is, is we just stand with them. We stand with them and, and we rejoice as they rejoice, and we mourn as they mourn. And they know that the, the life that they are going through, it's not a life in isolation. It's not a life that's just on their own. It's a, it's a shared life, a shared life with, with Jesus who stands with them and, and for them. And it's a shared life with us because he invites us to follow that exact same pattern, to stand with and for one another. So let me invite the worship team to come back up. And we're gonna close uh, with a beautiful hymn and for some, today, to sing would be your natural response. It just, it would flow easily. For others, it would be an act of, of sheer obedience, as we described before. But wherever you find yourself today, I want to invite you to, you'll do this literally in a minute, but to stand together as we share both the blessing and the burden of joy. So would you stand with me as, as I close this in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for your presence in our lives uh, that you desire for us to overflow with joy. And yet, Jesus, you, you walk this earth. You experience the, the trouble, the sorrow, and, and the struggle of, of life on earth and um, life with, <laughs> with humanity. And so you, you understand when, it, when it's just not so easy to to experience or, or feel joy, but would you give us the strength to, to joy anyway? May the joy of, of the Lord actually be our strength in those moments, and as we have opportunity, Lord, would you help us to, to stand with one another, to stand and, and, and to carry both the blessing and, and the burden of, of joy together? God, for those who are this morning who joy would be their natural response, we thank you for that. And for those who joy would, would have to come out of sheer obedience, we pray your blessing and strength for today, for them, and bright hope for tomorrow. God, thank you that we can count on and trust in your love. You demonstrated through your son, Jesus suffered all the way to the cross, and yet came out on their side in new life, ready to offer hope and joy for all humanity. God, we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.